Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is freedom from tradition. Now, here's Bill Almack. An Arab chief tells the story of a spy who was captured and then sentenced to death by a general in the Persian army. Now this general had a strange custom that whenever somebody was sentenced to death, he gave them a choice between the firing squad and the big black door. And so as the time for execution was brought near, the spy was brought before the general, and the general gave him a choice. Would it be the firing squad or the big black door? The spy thought about it for a long time. It was a difficult decision. Finally, he chose the firing squad. Moments later, shots rang out, confirming his execution. And the general turned to his aide and said, They always prefer the known to the unknown. It's a characteristic of people to be afraid of the undefined. And yet we gave him a choice. And his aide says, Well, what is behind the big black door? The general replied, freedom. And I've only known a few men brave enough to take it. Freedom scares a lot of people. What do we do with that? How do we behave with that? We prefer the known, even if it brings certain death, to the unknown. And as a result, we let things enslave us. Our attitudes, our habits, our traditions. And they enslave us. And we live under this cloud of condemnation, waiting to be shot down in front of a firing squad of self-righteous critics. It's no way to live. Paul knew it, and he's talking about it. And that's what he's been telling us in the book of Galatians. So we continue today in Galatians. Open with me to Galatians chapter 2. In your Bibles, your devices. Remember last week in chapter 1, we saw Paul was establishing his authority and that he was from God and that the message he was bringing was from God. This week we're going into Galatians 2, and Paul was kind of in mid-thought at the end of chapter 1. Uh, Remember, chapters were added later. And so um, he's kind of continuing that theme as we go on here. Now, in in chapter 2 is kind of divided into two parts. The first part, um, Paul's talking about um, this, this message that he's bringing, and is it authentic? Do all the apostles agree with it? And the second part, Paul has this little issue with Peter that we're going to get into. So today's message, Galatians 2, it's freedom from tradition, and hopefully you've got your, your uh, Bibles out with me. We're going to start right out on verses 1 and 2. 
It says, Then after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Now remember last week in chapter 1, Paul has his uh, Damascus, on road to Damascus experience, and he doesn't go to Jerusalem for three years. He goes to the desert instead. And then he goes to Jerusalem. Well, now he tells us, 14 years later, I went to Jerusalem again. And he, he's going there with a purpose. Right? This isn't just a social call. Number one, we see that he goes in response to a revelation. God told him to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't like the apostles got together and called a meeting. God sent Paul to Jerusalem. And he says, I I wanted to make sure that we were all in agreement, that we had unity. See, he didn't want to be out there telling the Gentiles something, getting them to convert to Christianity, and then have the other apostles tell them, you know, that Paul guy, he's a little out there. Don't listen to what he said. You got to do this instead. Right? That makes no sense. And Paul says, I don't want to do that. So I want to make sure we're all in agreement on what we're talking about here. What do we learn from this? Unity is important. It was important enough that God sent Paul to go do this. This wasn't the church leaders getting together and going, hey, this is a good idea. This is God saying, hey, this is a good idea. Unity is important. That doesn't mean there isn't room for a little individuality. We don't all have to be robots marching in lockstep. We've all got to be generally pulling the same direction. Verses 3 and 5. It says, Yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of this gospel might be preserved for you. There's a lot going on here. Okay? So... This is the first inkling that we get of what's happening, what the problem is in Galatia. right? We've known that there's some false believers there, but what are they really concerned about? It's circumcision. okay? Now remember, circumcision was given as a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. And God tells Abraham, you make sure everybody in your family is circumcised because that's a sign between you and me for everlasting generations. That kind of sounds like forever, doesn't it? And so I can understand how some people might come along and go, you know, this is important stuff. We're supposed to do this. But these are not just misguided people who meant well, but kind of got off track a little bit. Paul refers to these people as 
false believers who were spies. What do we do with spies? Execute them. Right? We just had a story on that. Right? <laughs> That's what we do, right? We don't like spies. And Paul says, I don't like these guys coming in here and spying on us and trying to pervert the gospel. Right? He says, this is not something that we have to do anymore. Now, this is was mind-blowing information to the people at the time. Because for the past 4,000 years, everybody's told him, you've got to be circumcised. And now all of a sudden, Paul stands up and goes, no, you don't. Well, that's hard to wrap your head around, right? That's difficult to comprehend. Let's take something that we all know. Meth is bad for you, right? We pretty much all agree. What if some famous university published a study that said, you know, a little bit of meth each night before you go to bed will increase your life by 10 years? That would be really hard for us to comprehend because we know that meth is bad for you. And it will be difficult for us. And that's kind of the same place these people are at because they're like, hey, man, for for thousands of years you told us to do this and, and now you're telling us not. What gives? What's going on? This was, this was difficult for them. Okay? But Paul stands firm because Titus, who was not a Jew, was not circumcised, doesn't feel the need to get circumcised, and the other apostles don't feel compelled to make him do it. This is important. There's unity. Okay? There's unity going along. And this shows a complete rejection of these false teachers and what they're trying to tell the church they have to do. And it's a unified rejection of it at all levels of the church. Now, I talk about this a lot, right? As as humans, we tend to this extreme or to that extreme, and we find it hard to be in the middle somewhere. And... When we start talking about freedom from the law, we can kind of go from that side all the way over to that side. We go, oh, hey, we're free from the law. This would be great. Party tonight in my house. Right? And, and we got to be careful what we're talking about here because what we're talking about is we're free from the law as a means of salvation. Okay? We're free from the law as a means of salvation. The Jews of the day believed that if you kept the civil law, and you kept the moral law, and you kept the Mosaic law, and you kept God's law, and you did enough good stuff, that would overcome any mistakes in your life, and God would have to take you to heaven. Justification by works. And Paul goes, no, no, that's not how it works. Okay, So when we're talking about freedom from the law, we're talking about freedom from the law as a means of salvation. Okay, Now, we're going to kind of skip verses 6 through 10, let you cover that in your small groups. But it's talking about Peter here. And there's a little bit of confusion because it talks about Peter and it uses the word uh, Cephas. And we're like, well, who, who's that? Okay, now remember, Peter's name was Simon. 
And Jesus said, I'm going to change your name to Cephas, which means the rock. In English, that's Peter. So Paul's just using the other translation of his name. It's the same name there. When we see Cephas, we know they're referring to, to Peter here. Okay, And so uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem. He gets agreement from Peter, from John, and from James, Jesus' brother, that everything's good. And then they're moving on. Now the last half of this chapter takes a very interesting turn. And you might think it's a little bit weird until you consider it in, in whole. So after they have this meeting in Jerusalem, Paul goes to Antioch to work on the churches in Antioch. And a short time later, or sometime later, Peter comes to Antioch too. So we have both Peter and Paul in Antioch. Now, that's not such a weird thing, because remember, Paul's talking primarily to the Gentiles, and Peter's talking primarily to the Jews, and Antioch had plenty of Jews and plenty of Gentiles. So there was plenty of work for them to do. And they're not like stepping on each other's toes, or they're not checking on each other. They just both were there at the same time. And something happens here. If we look at verse 12, and the he that we're referring to here in verse 12 is Peter. And it says, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he, or Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. All right, so some people show up from James's church in Jerusalem. This is probably a very conservative group, primarily made up of Jews who are struggling with this, what do we do with this Mosaic law we've had, how we deal with it. And they're saying, we've got to keep this. This is important stuff. And they show up here in Antioch, and Peter up to now has been hanging out with the Gentiles, having dinner with them. It's been good. But remember, Jews don't hang out with Gentiles because you come ceremonially unclean. And so when this group shows up from Jerusalem, Peter kind of withdraws a little bit, stops doing that. And it becomes so noticeable that other people stop doing it. And even Barnabas stops doing it. And they're not hanging out with the Gentiles anymore. And Paul just runs straight in like a bull on a china closet and deals with his head on. I mean, he just, he didn't pull any punches at all. Right? And he goes up and he confronts Peter. But he says he was afraid. Now, what was he afraid of? That they were going to kill him? I don't think so. What is he afraid of? That they're going to go back to Jerusalem. Oh, did you hear what Peter's doing? Right? The story spread. And they get stronger. You know, the Bible's a little bit unclear here about what the problem was. We know this is the circumcision group, but we also know that they were concerned about more of the Mosaic law. And part of that was not eating unclean meat, right? And so Peter and and Paul and even James are not living according to this Mosaic law anymore. 
They're saying that's not how we get saved. That's not what we have to do. And so Peter might have been sitting down and having a little bit of unclean meat with the Gentiles. And this was going to be scandalous back in Jerusalem. And he was afraid. Is this the first time Peter's been afraid? No, we remember another famous story where Peter was afraid. Just goes to show nobody's perfect. That includes you and me. So, they, um, they're going out there, and, and all the apostles have agreed that these rules, thank you, are, are not, what, um, not what saves us, right? And Peter starts acting differently. And other people notice it. And they start acting differently. And what do we learn? Our actions affect other people. Our actions affect other people, whether you realize it or not. There's two farmers that live next to each other. Ken, who was a Christian. Bob, who was not. And Ken was always trying to get Bob to go to church with him. Bob never went to church with him. One day they were in the fields working, and Ken was just kind of riding along on the tractor with, with Bob, and they were talking as they went about their work. And one of the things you have to do as you drive a tractor in a field is you're always watching for rocks. Because you don't want rocks to get caught up in your machinery. They, they wreak havoc on it and break parts. So they're watching for rocks. And they found a couple rocks as they went through the field. And uh, Ken would, would jump down, get the rock, put it up on the tractor, and you know they'll dispose of it later. Well, as they went through the field, you know, Ken's trying to convince Bob, go to church with me. In in their process of working the field, they got over by a third farmer's field who Ken and Bob were having a little bit of a land dispute with. Where's the line on the property? Who owns what? And and, uh, Ken says, hold on a minute. Stop the tractor. And he picks up the rocks and he heaves them as far as he can into the other guy's field. And Bob goes, man, if that's what Christianity looks like, I don't want nothing to do with it. Your actions affect other people. Whether you realize it or not. And these people were watching Peter and they mimicked his behavior. Who's watching you? They want to see how Christians behave. How they act. How they treat others. Does your behavior further or hinder the kingdom? All right, verse 15, going on. Paul says, um, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. All right? Here's a little sarcasm from Paul. Because the word Gentile kind of means sinner. Right? This is somebody that doesn't know the law, doesn't follow the law. You're a Gentile. So he's saying, you sinful sinners, 
us Jews, we're better than sinful sinners. He's being a smart aleck. Okay? And he's going after Peter a little bit. He's kind of digging in the knife. He says, we know better. But the Gentiles don't. And you're setting a bad example for them. Okay? Because he says, we are justified, we are not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. What are we justified by? Faith. Now you and I have heard that our whole lives. This was brand new to this group of people, right? They were struggling with this mightily. Right? This was a new idea. They're trying to figure out what to do with it. And Paul is so hammering this home, he's repeating it two and three times. He just keeps going back to it. I gotta drive this in. Because, you know, this is a new thought. This is a new idea. And you've gotta learn this. This is important. This is the gospel. The Jews, like I said before, they believed if you did enough good things, God had to take you to heaven. You were just so good. Right? That's just not how it works. That justification by works is bad mojo. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you could earn your way to heaven, why did Jesus come and die? Because you can't earn your way to heaven. Cannot be done. See, the grace of God is the only way. It's not works. It's not what you do. It's not because you go to Sabbath school and church every week, although that's good stuff. It's not because you pay tithes and offerings, although that's good stuff. It's because God's grace... And you know what? It's 2,000 some years after he wrote this and we're still struggling with this. How many times have you heard, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to be sure to do this, don't do that. I grew up in a pretty conservative neck of the woods. I mean, when you live next door to the Amish people, that's conservative. And we used to go hiking on Sabbath afternoons. Famous thing to do, hiking. We'd like to hike over the, our mountain, which you guys would call a bump, but it was a mountain for us. Um, and on the other side was a river. We used to like to go down to the river in the summer days and hang out the river. But you know, there was a rule that you could wade into the river, but you couldn't get your shorts wet. Because if you got your shorts wet, that was swimming. You shouldn't go swimming on the Sabbath. You should only wade on the Sabbath, Right? Fortunately, it was a time when we all wore short shorts. We could go into the water quite far because we weren't wearing shorts that hung down to our calves, you know. Yeah, not Speedos. 
But that stuff doesn't save you. You're going to get to heaven and go, God, you know what? I never went swimming on Sabbath. And he's going to go, what are you talking about? Right? That doesn't matter. That's not what saves you. And so at this point, you might be thinking, well, what good is the law anyway? That's a great question, and we're going to talk about that next week. Isn't that the best hook ever? You guys got to come back next week and see what good is the law anyway? It has a purpose. What is it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we don't have to earn our way to heaven. That God's grace is enough. The thing that He did on the cross is enough. And all I have to do is have faith in Him. And His grace will justify me. Thank you so much for that, Lord. I I mean, I just don't even know where we'd be without that. Help us to understand the balance between grace and the law. Help us to understand why they're both important and what we need to do with them, Lord. But most of all, make us aware of Your grace and make us share Your grace with the people around us. Thank You so much. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.